Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here today on AOA Agriculture of America. Great to have you along with us here today. And the show brought to you by our friends at Cenex, your local Cenex, just around the corner. Everyday products, including premium diesel like Cenex Roadmaster XL and lubricants like Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, powered locally by Cenex. Coming up here on today's program, we're going to talk markets here in just a second with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. Coming up here in segment two, we'll have a conversation with Lance Zimmerman, Senior Animal Protein Analyst with Bank, looking at their latest global beef quarterly. We'll also talk with Dr. Jim Minturk from Purdue University coming up in segment three today about the latest ag economy barometer numbers that were out here uh, last week. We're going to catch up with Dr. Minturk about that here on the show. And then we're going to wrap the show today. We're going to learn more about Seed Your Future, their upcoming Green Careers Week. Jasmine Alboran, the executive director of Seed Your Future, will join us coming up here at the end of the show today. Well, let's dive in and talk markets. Uh, We saw the September World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report come out earlier here in the week. And here to uh, run through how the markets are are looking big picture with us after that report, Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, great to catch up with you. How are you? Great, Jesse. Thanks for having me, sir. Let's dive in here a little bit and talk about these markets. And uh, coming out of that report, we saw a bit of a, a short covering rally, it looked like, so to speak, in the wheat trade. And, and really, outside of that, there wasn't a whole lot to write home about. We didn't have a lot to really feed the bull, it felt like, from that WASDE report. What's your assessment of what this wheat market's been doing overall and just the, that WASDE trade that, that we've seen the last couple of days? I think the wheat is trying to carve out a low here and maybe a seasonal low, something that could take us into the end of the year, especially with the dynamic that USDA's numbers took 6 million metric tons out of our major competitors' production. And that took our stocks to use for the world down to a fresh 10-year low of around 32.5%. And that, I think, was at the same time, right before that report, we were hitting fresh three-year lows in soft red wheat, Jesse. So, we have that and we can couple that with some damage to the Ukrainian infrastructure. Now we know a bit more about how bad it's been and it's been pretty, pretty bad. Um, the Ukrainians themselves are saying it's cut into their grain exports uh, in so far in September, about half of normal of what they've been able to get out of the door. And they're talking specifically about the Danube and it's going to affect their overall export. So I'm inclined to think that the wheat is trying to put a low in here, um, may have to wait until the September uh, WASD, excuse me, uh, stocks report number on the mm-hmm. 29th. Um, and, and that also couples with the Federal Reserve coming out in the later part of September. We're still tied to the hip with the dollar and with the currencies when it comes to the wheat, even with this more friendly report. Well, and and thinking about this overall grain complex too, it felt like with the WASD that traders kind of baked in some of the uh, some of the numbers ahead of it, and especially in the quarter beans because we're not really moving much. It feels like we've gone sideways again here, looking for some sort of direction uh, for maybe early harvest numbers and more here, Mike. I agree. I mean, it, it is a very early harvest, and so you know, while we in the production side of the mindset, fundamental side of the mindset are thinking maybe early harvest, meaning early harvest low. Um, we do have a lot of yield to get underneath our belts here in the next couple of weeks. And as you say, USDA didn't give us anything in terms of carryover numbers to really stop the market from going lower as we bring on new supplies. That's kind of been a footprint of this last year and a half, ever mm-hmm. since we came off those Russia-Ukraine war highs, is that the trade constantly goes back to the idea that well, yeah, maybe we're tight on supplies, but there's fresh supplies coming right around the corner. So let's keep selling rallies. So it'll be interesting today specifically because September futures do expire. We'll see specifically whether the product markets and soy complex can hold that premium in September against their next contract, which will be lead month futures. So that's probably the biggest thing to watch today as we go off the board. 
Now, soybeans, much tighter balance sheet there. And I know you, you lot, watch a lot of charts and look at things very closely, technically, fundamentally. As you look at the monthly continuation charts, for example, on soybeans, what are you seeing there? Are you having to redraw some some wedge formations here? I mean, walk us through some of that uh, that chart aspect of soybeans right now. Yeah, for the listener out there, a wedge would be a, a bunch of support levels that you can draw a line on and a bunch of resistance levels and highs that you can draw another line on and they kind of form a triangle or a wedge. And we are coming on the monthly chart to the point of a wedge, and it's a pretty big one, one of the bigger ones in the last couple of years. I think last month's low of 319.5 is a big number to watch for in the September soybeans today as we go off the board there. Um, if we take that last month's low out, that would open us up to the downside if it maintained itself, in my opinion, at the end of the week. So export sales really didn't do anything to help us. The products were both negative today, meal and oil were a negative number. Soybeans were okay, right kind of in the middle lower part of the range. I want to talk uh, livestock a little bit here as well, too, and this can rope in the corn side, I think, uh, with the feeder corn ratio right now. Uh, feeders uh, been watching this market, both feeders and live cattle moving their way kind of sideways, but pushing higher a bit uh, on Thursday with cheaper corn. I mean, is this an opportunity to lock in some feed needs here? Can you talk about that? I think today is a really big day with the feeders and the fats because they've been able to go triple digits higher, even though the beef export sales were down 56% from the four-week average. And that comes off the heels of the WASD numbers really showing demand rationing in the form of a lot lower exports of beef in 23 and 24 and an increase in imports. And so if we can hold these kind of gains today going into the close and going into the end of the week, this may be a launch pad for another leg up. But I do think we're getting towards the end of the buy protein sell grain spread mindset that the funds have been carrying uh, now as we get close to the end of 2023. So profitability is the name of, game, name of the game in the cattle markets, especially for fourth, uh, fourth quarter marketings, Jesse. It feels like overall grains and livestock here, Mike, that uh, maybe before you get into the field a little bit or if you have some time, it's it's a good point here to sharpen the pencil a little bit and just make sure things are, are where you need them to be with your marketing plan, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think most of the producers out there are a lot more nervous about uh, the soybean yield and they can't get a good beat on it. And they're very nervous about them going down in the last month. Whereas with the corn, I think USDA's pretty much got it right, except for maybe Iowa needs to come down. But I think that's a key is that we probably got a supply number that's pretty well known. And if we can get a top in the dollar, that may be the uh, top end for your feed side of the equation as far as profitability. So start looking at the feed side, I think. Mike, uh, final thoughts before we let you go here today? Yeah, a big thing is how we close out the week in the in the wheat market. That hard red monthly chart, 752 and three quarters is a number I'm looking at because that's the high, current high on the month. It sure be nice to take that out uh, after we got this WASDE report report that came in pretty friendly. Mike, if folks want to uh, take a look at your research and connect with you, I know they could do that easily online. Where can they reach you? Globalcomresearch.com. It's globalcom with two M's, research.com. Sign up for a trial. It's free for two weeks. Fantastic. Mike Zuzlo, president of Global Commodity Analytics. Thanks for joining us on AOA here today. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, coming up next, we are going to have a conversation with Lance Zimmerman from Robble Bank. He will be joining us here to talk about their global beef quarterly. That's on the way after this here. You're listening to AOA, brought to you by Cenex. Back with more right after this. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hard-working control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. 
Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL. Everyday products, powered locally, that's Cenex. Jesse Allen back with you here on the show. Right now, let's turn our attention to the beef industry, the cattle markets. Joining us now, he is Senior Animal Protein Analyst with Bank and Robo Research. Always great to catch up with Lance Zimmerman. Lance, thanks for joining us once again here on AOA today. How are you? I'm doing great, Jesse. Thanks for having me on today. Well, let's dive in. And first, I want to highlight the Global Beef Quarterly, the quarter three a report from Robo Bank and Robo Research. As we kind of look at this beef market and uh, and everything as a whole, can you hit some of the highlights you guys found in that report? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think stands out in the report uh, is not a shock to probably many of your listeners. They stay pretty in tune with what's going on in the global beef markets, but uh, the disparity that's developing with uh, higher charging U.S., North American beef and cattle prices and, and really standing out in divergence to prices across a lot of the rest of the world, Australia, New Zealand, uh, even Uruguay, Argentina, and Brazil, their prices have been uh, at best sideways, in many cases softer, uh, as we've navigated through 2023. And so that was one of the big takeaways in the report that we're, we're starting to see some divergence in production trends, uh, some divergences in demand, perhaps, um, and seeing some differences on a global, you know, major beef producer uh, market by market analysis. I have to think that maybe, uh, obviously, as we rebuild, rebuild this herd here in the U.S., I know that's something that you and I have talked about before. I have to think that maybe has a bit of an impact here on the U.S. side as well right now, Lance. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really the first thing when you unpack the price trend differences that that sticks out. Let's just talk about Australia versus the U.S. right now. Um, as you look at the last 12 months, uh, Australia's production went from being 
up one to two percent through this period last year at this time to over the last nine months being up about seven percent. Contrast that to the U.S., where our production was up a couple percentage points at this point last year, and then since then has been down anywhere from one to three percent through the winter, uh, and now more recently down four to five percent. And so uh, the production trends clearly uh, point to why we're seeing some of the price differences. But then you also have to look at demand, and demand in the U.S. for beef has continued to hold much stronger than other parts in the world. And with basically 90% of our production still being consumed within the United States. Uh, that's a big difference relative to a lot of our other global partners. I wonder too, you know, you bring up the U S and, and you look through some of this, uh, some of the details of this report. And obviously we've been wondering what the demand would look like domestically here with the recovery from COVID and, you know, thinking domestically and some of the other uh, countries around the world as well. I wonder, too, with inflation and more, is that having an impact or folks maybe shying away from certain cuts of beef because the price is just too high, Lance? You know, it's interesting. We just had the the recent inflation numbers posted. Inflation's up, was it 3.7% on an annualized basis here this past month? And so certainly some of those pressures loom large. Um, one of the things, though, that's insulating beef demand a little bit from, from maybe the full brunt of consumer pressure is the fact that the income and employment side of our economy continues to hold strong. No doubt, uh, increased cost, increased interest rates, and all the pressures that come with that are still something that are a factor to watch as we lean going forward. But really, as you look at beef, as, as long as consumers can afford beef, they're still leaning into it. And I think one of the things that I read, a neat study that came out that said is as consumers tend to get stressed, they actually, in the short run, turn to beef more as a comfort item. And we certainly saw that during the pandemic. Um, but as you look at those August retail prices, they would yeah. somewhat support that. They were up again, uh, month over month and, and really posting again, new year or new all-time highs. I was just going to say, yeah, those latest retail prices from USDA out on Wednesday, you and I were chatting about those before we went on the air and some more record highs there again. So just uh, some more data to kind of back up your point there. It's interesting as you, as you dive through data like that and continue to see an overall solid demand, as you said, things being insulated here for beef demand, Lance. Yeah, you know, the August retail price printed at 782 a pound for the all fresh beef price. As you pivot and look at just the choice only price, it was actually just a tick softer um, month over month, but still very strong, would essentially still be uh, the second highest on record at 822 a pound. As mm -hmm. we look going forward with the higher wholesale cost, with the higher fed cattle price, uh, we're going to support a retail price that's going to stay sticky, as I would like to say. Kind in that 780 to 790 range, probably through the end of this year and on through um, the early and late parts of winter. I should say early parts of 2024, late parts of winter. And then we'll poise ourselves for probably additional increases in that retail price as we look to next spring and grilling season. Well, I know as well, Lance, again, folks can check out the full Global Beef Quarterly for quarter three online, research.robobank.com, and it's under the uh, the food and agri-home sector, uh, under the animal protein side, folks can navigate there and, and find the full report. Any other thoughts about that report real quick uh, that you want to mention before we talk about a couple other things in the cattle industry? No, I think the biggest thing relative to that report is we're going to continue to see global dynamics play out, especially as our domestic supplies tighten, as our, our cow slaughter declines. We're going to have more pressures to, to fill that supply void, and, and that's going to come from imports. And so definitely point your readers to that so they can understand what's going on in some of these countries that are, are traditional importers into the U.S., Australia, New Zealand, Mexico, Canada, and even Brazil. Um, mm -hmm. I think keeping track of what's going on there will, will be even more important in the years to come research.robobank.com again is where folks can find that global beef quarterly quarter three we're talking with lance zimmerman senior animal protein analyst with robobank and lance as well you mentioned kind of some of the tightening supply here in the u.s i just want to get your thoughts with the latest you're hearing as you look out there across feedlot country and more as we've we've talked in the past about what it's going to take to rebuild this herd uh, what's some of the latest you're hearing i, I would have to think that 
we're still kind of in a in a holding pattern trying to find maybe our our bottom so to speak before we start to rebuild this herd over the next couple of years lance you're exactly right you know we're really as we've gotten into this second half of the year uh, you talk to cattle feeders trying to bring cattle on to feed and and pen space is available but we're not finding as many cattle to fill them and that's really as we transitioned into this summer time period the first time we've really heard that from feed yard managers uh, regardless of region that the national supply of feeder cattle and calves is tighter and it's being felt mm-hmm. uh, i think the other side of that is as we've navigated through the summer the feeder cattle markets caught up to the corn price decline to the point where now cattle being placed on feed are, are being placed at, at roughly a break even sometimes it's a little bit of a loss sometimes it's a little bit of a profit but overall it's about a wash and so a lot of the profitability that we've seen through the cattle feeding segment is going to be fleeting as we work through the rest of 2023 and those profits are going to be harder to come by as we work through 2024 and essentially the weather patterns just aren't giving the cow calf producer a break right now you know uh, we got the latest forecast from an el nino la nina standpoint Uh, we call those enso forecast enso we got the latest iteration of those and the u.s drought monitor team also published their forecast for what drought could look like for the next several months, basically through the end of November. And they were a gut punch if you're a cattle producer. Uh, A lot of us have sat back and said, hey, June, May, June, we got some moisture in major cow-calf country. It got drier through the Corn Belt, obviously. But man, as we get to fall, things are going to transition back to wetter. Well, that's not what the U.S. Drought Monitor forecast suggests. They say from basically New Mexico and the southern tip of Texas all the way through the major Corn Belt area up through the Great Lakes, that it's going to be at least on par with what we've seen lately or intensifying drought, um, which isn't great news, whether you're in the cattle business or in the, the Corn Belt, soybean belt, really, really trying to look at fall harvest and see what your prospects are for planting conditions going in next spring. Always enjoy the insights and appreciate the time. With that, Lance Zimmerman, Senior Animal Protein Analyst with Rabo Research Food and Agribusiness. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Have a great one. We'll talk to you again soon. Jesse, thanks for having me on today. Always great conversations there with Lance Zimmerman. You can check out that Global Beef Quarterly again online uh, very easily. Research.robobank.com. It's under the Animal Protein section. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about the latest ag economy barometer from Purdue University and CME Group, seeing the uh, producer sentiment weakening a bit in the month of August. We're going to go through the numbers and talk with Dr. Jim Mintert, Professor of Agricultural Economics and Director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture at Purdue University. He authors and puts together the Ag Economy Barometer with his team. We're going to get the uh, details from Dr. Mintert about what he's seeing in the latest barometer numbers. That's coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. We'll be back with more right after this. On the latest episode of the Monthly Grind, we talked corn as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel with Sarah McKay and John Del Motti from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Essentially, when we say SAF or sustainable aviation fuel, that is fuel that is produced from sustainable feedstocks like corn, which is you know pretty much identical in chemistry to the traditional petro-based jet fuel, but is made from, from corn, whether it's from corn oil in one of those pathways for SAF, or you can also do an ethanol to jet that alcohol pathway is also another pathway that can be pursued for sustainable aviation fuel. When I look at the the fuels market as a whole, is there's discussions around the automotive market maybe moving more toward electric. We sort of have to ask ourselves, so what happens to that ethanol demand? SAF creates a huge, huge market for that product. And ultimately, the bigger point is, is it creates demand for corn. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. 
Now, there's not a lot of news moving the grains and oil seeds today or overnight for that matter. The grain and oil seed markets are drifting. They're lacking a demand story or a sufficient supply threat to justify a rally that would further ration demand. Wheat prices are trying to put in yet another bottom, but it is yet to be seen if this one will do any better than the others at holding as long as Russia continues to dump record volumes of wheat on the world market. India is insisting that it has no plans to import wheat from Russia, which had been a potential supportive story. Grains are falling in the plains ahead of wheat planting, and U.S. wheat continues to struggle to be competitive. Seasonal harvest pressure is also continuing for corn and soybeans following a lack of bullish fodder from USDA to do otherwise on Tuesday. The big market drivers this week seem to be the economic data that it came out yesterday and today. Wall Street continues to focus on the positive following this morning's data dump, assuming that the Federal Reserve will do the same thing. Now, it's been wrong about the Fed for the past year and a half, but it does continue to hold out hope that it will eventually be right. For today, though, at this hour, optimism is reigning strong. Stock futures are higher, while the VIX has traded below 13 for the first time since late July. The dollar is also stronger, having hit a fresh six-month high near 105.3. That's after the European Central Bank signaled that its rate hike today will likely be the end of the line, signaling a pivot. Yields on 10-year treasuries are trading near 4.25, while yields on 2-year treasuries are trading near 4.97. Crude oil prices have also pushed above fresh 10-month highs above 90. However, they have sunk back just slightly here. And first-time claims for unemployment benefits totaled a low 220,000 in the week ending on the 9th. That's up slightly from 217,000 the previous week, but down from analyst expectations of 225,000. Employers are holding on tightly to the workers that they do have, hoping for a soft landing that would allow for growth again in this tight labor market. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex, of course, uh, getting a lot of early harvest activity happening around the country. And as you get ready to roll in the field, make sure you have uh, all of your equipment ready to go with the latest and greatest uh, there from Cenex with their Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, as well as Cenex Premium Diesel, Cenex Roadmaster XL, helping keep you uh, on the go and fueled up and ready for this fall harvest season. Well, let's turn our attention now to the latest ag economy barometer and look at producer sentiment through the month of August, seeing a bit of a decline in some of the numbers here to tell us more about it. Dr. Jim Mintert, Professor of Agricultural Economics and Director for the Center for Commercial Agriculture at Purdue University. Jim, great to have you back on AOA this month. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, it's good to be with you as well and uh, always good to visit about the barometer. Well, I appreciate the time. Let's jump in. Uh, Looks like plenty of movement in this month's ag economy barometer. Uh, I'll start with the overall sentiment. Looks like that number dropped a little bit. Uh, Let's just start there. What's going on this month? Yeah, so the overall sentiment measure, the ag economy barometer index itself, dropped eight points to a rating of 115. And that was really driven by producers' weaker perception of current conditions on their farms and in U.S. agriculture. The current condition index, I think, fell 13 points. That pushed it down to a reading of 108. And the future expectation index uh, dropped as well, but not as much. It dropped, I think, five points to a reading of 119. Um, So, you know, if you look at it, I mean, I think 
the obvious point is we saw weaker commodity prices, particularly for the major crops, corn and soybeans and, and wheat, uh, from the time we did data collection in mid-July to mid-August. And I think that was probably the biggest driver in a, with people looking at a, a weaker financial uh, perspective in terms of what's going on uh, here, looking at, at harvest coming up here for the fall crops. So I think mm -hmm. that was really the, the probably the biggest thing. But, as, you know, some related things kind of filter in there as well. I mean, 60% of the people in our survey think interest rates are going up uh, over the course of the next year. That's not a big change from July. I think July was around 65%. But the fact that we've got close to two thirds of the people in the survey that are thinking about interest rates going up, um, I think is, is factoring into it as well. And when we ask people about their biggest concerns, you know, they continue to point to high input prices. Um, that's the number one concern. The number two concern uh, is rising interest rates. And then number three is the possibility or the risk of uh, continued downward uh, pressure on, on uh, both crop and livestock prices. So, mm -hmm. you know, you put those things together and I think what people are really worried about is a cost price squeeze. And that's a, a great point you made. And that's what I was thinking as you were talking there is that kind of cost price squeeze. And it just feels like, you know, so goes the market. So goes people's sentiment. You mentioned commodity prices, especially quarter beans have come down. It just feels like with everything going on, droughts having impacts as well. Seems like folks are just worried about the affordability of doing business right now, Jim. Yeah, I think in some other interviews, I think people have asked me about the fact that, well, you know, we've seen some softness in, for example, fertilizer prices. And that's true. And that has helped. But when you look at the other major inputs that farmers are having to purchase to put a crop in the ground and, and to manage their overall operation, those other costs are remaining at elevated levels. Um, in some cases, maybe steady at those elevated levels. In other cases, maybe continuing to increase. So when you look at the combined factor uh, and compare production cost on a per bushel basis now versus pre-pandemic, um, those costs are substantially higher. And, and that's what's, I think, going to continue to be a concern, I think, uh, probably throughout the fall and maybe through the winter, unless something shakes loose that, that will look quite a bit different than it does now. We're entering in a different environment. And you know, when you look at the index, I think it's important to remember how this index is put together. We started collecting data in the fall of 2015 and then continued into the, uh, obviously since then, the first six months of data collection provide the base for the barometer. What that means is if you average the barometer calculations across those six first, uh, first six months, you wind up with an index value of 100. So an index value above 100 indicates that people have a more positive sentiment than they did during that base period, which is late 15, early 2016. And, you know, for your listeners, I think a lot of them probably remember what it was like in late 2015, early 2016. Mm -hmm. That was the early days of a significant downturn. And so we're looking at the index values getting close. We're still above where we were back in that time frame but we're getting close to where we were. And I think that's an, an important aspect with respect to thinking about where, where people are at in their operations. And I think it's gonna be really interesting the rest of the fall and into the winter to see what happens to the barometer relative to where it was back in 2015, 2016, to see if we come back to those kind of sentiment levels or if we retain a little more positive perspective. Jim, when you drill down in the data and you mentioned you know, a lot of folks worried about higher input costs, rising interest rates. Are, are there any folks out there responding to the survey who are still considering making some sizable investments in their operation right now? Is there any anyone that's maybe on that end of the spectrum right now? Yeah, that's a great question because if you look at our um, investment index, the Farm Capital Investment Index, every month in, re in recent months, we've been getting between 70 and 75% of the people in the survey say it's not a good time to make large investments in their farming operation. But every month, there is a group of people much smaller than, than the 70, 75%, obviously. But there is a group of people out there who say it is a good time to make some, some changes and some op, uh, make some investments in their operation. And, um, you know, those folks point to things like they continue to have a good or strong cash flow for their operation. That's their number one reason for thinking it's a good time. Um, in some cases, they've got uh, an opportunity to expand their operation 
In other cases, they're looking at opportunities to bring a new family member back in the operation. So there is a, a smaller group of people who do feel like they've got an opportunity. Um, and there could be a lot of reasons why there's a difference of opinion there in terms of what, what's taking place in those individual operations. Part of it's probably related to the size of the operation. Um, you know, if, if you think about the cost of making an investment, for example, you know, buying a new tractor, a new combine, et cetera, uh, you've got to have sufficient scale to make that operational. And our survey has, uh, you know, our survey is focused on commercial scale operations, but they're not all large enough to be in a position to make those kind of investments. Jim, I know as well, you guys had the short-term and long-term farmland value indexes uh, on this month's data. Any trends you saw there that you could share with us? Well, the interesting thing about both of those indices is that they are retaining a fair amount of strength. So uh, just to kind of put it in perspective, anytime the index is above 100, that means we've got more people saying it's, they expect to see farmland values go up than go down. So the short-term index is a reading of 126. I think that was up one point compared to the prior month, but the real story is the last three months, it's basically been flat in that 125 to 126 category. A year ago, it was at 128, so not much difference there. Two years ago, that index was at 146. So people are not as optimistic about short-term increases in farmland values looking ahead over the next 12 months as they were two years ago, but they're feeling about as good as they did this time last year. And in light of what's happened to interest rates and to some extent tightening of crop margins, that's kind of surprising. Um, the long-term index, similar story. That index has been flat for the last three months at a reading of 151. Um, it's actually, not too surprisingly, the, the long-term index is always a little more positive than the short-term index, mm -hmm. uh, largely because over longer periods of time, it's really pretty rare to see declines in farmland values. You compare that index to a year ago, it's actually a little higher than it was a year ago. A year ago, it was at 146. Two years ago, it was at 155. The all-time high in that index is about 161. So people are still retaining a fair amount of optimism about farmland values. And that's a little surprising given the perspective we seem to have with respect to, for example, crop income and also this concern about rising interest rates. Jim, one other thing for us to wrap up on here. I thought this was an interesting, very timely question in uh, this month's survey asking about carbon contracts to corded soybean growers. Hot topic right now in agriculture. What did you guys find with some of those uh, questions that were asked and the uh, data that got compiled together? Yeah, the whole carbon contract uh, thing continues to be a hot topic, and that's why we included some questions on it. This question only went to people who grow corn or soybeans. So we were trying to look at a, a fairly consistent uh, group of people in terms of the responses. About 6% of the people in the survey said they'd had a conversation with a company about possibly uh, signing up to for a carbon sequestration contract. Um, of, this, of that group, only 2% of the corn and soybean producers in our survey said they'd actually signed a contract. And then we asked the folks who've had, had a, a conversation with a company, you know, what kind of rate are you being offered? And these rates really haven't changed much. We've been asking this question off and on now for a couple of years. Um, almost half, 47% of the people who said they'd had a conversation said they were only offered 10 to $20 per metric ton. 16% um, said they were offered 20 to $30 a metric ton. Almost a third, 32%, said they were offered less than $10 a metric ton. And uh, when we asked people who said they had had a conversation about carbon sequestration but chose not to sign a contract, why? The overwhelming response was the rates were not high enough. And I, that's mm -hmm. pretty consistent with what we've been hearing uh, ever since we first started asking questions about carbon contracts. A lot of great data to keep our eyes on moving forward. And folks can look at the latest Ag Economy Barometer online, ag.purdue.edu forward slash commercial ag forward slash Ag Economy Barometer. Dr. Jim Mintert, Purdue University, thanks so much for the time. We'll talk to you again next month. All right. Thanks, Jess. Appreciate the opportunity and look forward to it. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we're going to talk to Jasmine Alboran, the executive director of Seed Your Future. AOA brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Back with more right after this.
You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. Always reserved. On the latest episode of The Monthly Grind, we talked corn as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel with Sarah McKay and John Del Motti from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Essentially, when we say SAF or sustainable aviation fuel, that is fuel that is produced from sustainable feedstocks like corn, which is you know pretty much identical in chemistry to the traditional petro-based jet fuel, but is made from, from corn, whether it's from corn oil in one of those pathways for SAF, or you can also do an ethanol to jet. But that alcohol pathway is also another pathway that can be pursued for sustainable aviation fuel. When I look at the, the fuels market as a whole, is there's discussions around the automotive market maybe moving more toward electric. We sort of have to ask ourselves, so what happens to that ethanol demand? SAF creates a huge, huge market for that product. And ultimately, the bigger point is, is it creates demand for corn. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. 
informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA Today, powered by our friends at Cenex. Your local Cenex is just around the corner. Everyday products, including premium diesel and lubricants, powered locally by Cenex. Well, right now, we're going to learn more about Seed Your Future and their upcoming Green Career Week. Joining us now, Executive Director of Seed Your Future, Jasmine Alberon. Jasmine, thanks so much for joining us today. Hope you're doing well. Hi, thank you for having us. I'm excited to be here to talk a little bit about Seed Your Future and our upcoming initiative, Green Career Week. Well, first off, for folks who may not be aware of Seed Your Future and, and what you guys do, can you give us just a, a quick background on Seed Your Future first? Absolutely. So Seed Your Future is the movement to promote horticulture, ag, floriculture, um, and inspire people, students, to pursue careers working with plants. Um, you know, we envision a U.S. where everyone understands the power of plants and is aware of the promising careers in the art, science, technology, and business of horticulture and all the sectors within it. Well, and you mentioned the upcoming initiative with Green Careers Week and uh, obviously trying to raise some of that awareness and hopefully mm -hmm. uh, get, get some uh, young folks, uh, get students, uh, you know, more wanting to aspire to take on some of these roles. So uh, talk a little bit about that and just some of the things that you guys are, are looking at doing with Green Career Week here to kind of drive some awareness. Perfect. Yes. And um, so Green Career Week is going to show students the variety and benefits of working within careers in horticulture and agriculture and floriculture and inspire them to pursue those careers, right? These industries are looking for qualified candidates to move our industry forward. It's the food we eat, the landscape we live and play in, and the environments we thrive in. So the idea behind Green Career Week is that industry is going to invite students to their facilities, to their farm, to their greenhouse for field trips. We want students to see these careers and actions because they really don't know where their food comes from anymore. I think it comes from the grocery store or, um, again, the plants. So the idea is getting the students in front of the careers. If for whatever reason you can't bring students to yourself, we're saying, okay, industry, go into the classroom. Do a presentation about your business, your careers, your company culture. Bring people from sales, customer service, graphic design, marketing, the plant careers, so the students can see the type of things they can do. Right? You have students that are going to love working with plants, but then some that that's not their thing. But we also need people in those administrative jobs to ensure that our industry is successful. We want students to know that no matter what their passion are, they have a career here with us. Well, you uh, kind of alluded to this as well, and you mentioned that a lot of uh, a lot of young folks don't necessarily know where their food comes from. And I would have to think that that's uh, just one of the many reasons why horticulture jobs are so vital to America and to American lives, right, Jasmine? Absolutely. Plant science jobs are the business of managing and using you know, what we grow while maintaining the health of our soil, our air and water, the well-being of our children, our communities, our world, really. Right? It, it makes a difference to virtually everyone. Everyone has to eat, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Everyone has to eat. And, and really, just thinking about, you know, all the things that happen in the plant sciences and, and et cetera, et cetera, it's so, so crucial. Talk about what are some of the different jobs that are available for young people throughout the industry? So it varies so much, right? From just to start off is most people think of the person cutting your grass or the farmer in overalls from 1950 as horticulture and ag, which is not the case. Mm -hmm. The breadth and depth of this industry is incredible. Um, the amount of technology that is here uh, in greenhouses, on farms, again, very innovative. So professions can range from agriculture engineers to biochemists, drone technicians, soil specialists to floral design. Really, it, it varies. So on our website, we list 140 different careers. Each one has a profile. It describes the career, 
provide salary information. It lets you know, do you need a master's versus a PhD versus a certificate? There's a YouTube video to give the student a day in a life of so they can get an idea of what that career would do. Uh, we want to be a hub of information for students, career exploration around the plant sciences. Um, we also list industry scholarships, internships, and a where to study map that lists the two-year college, four-year universities that have plant science programs across the country. Well, I'm glad you brought up that website as well. I was just looking at it. A lot of great information there. You guys have a, a pretty robust uh, layout here of info for folks, don't you? Absolutely. Again, we want to be a one-stop shop for parents, educators, students that want to learn about careers in the industry. And then our resources are free also for industry to use, right? Mm -hmm. So that they can get into those classrooms. The reason why we created Green Career Week is because you have students that are passing up the farms, that are passing up the nurseries and greenhouses and do not see them as employers. They see them as like, oh, okay, they're growing stuff. Well, yeah, but what are the careers growing all that stuff, right? Sure. And it varies from the careers growing the, the plants and the produce to those administrative jobs. Um, so getting these students to realize, oh, that's an employer that I can maybe have an internship at or I can do a part-time job over the summer that alone brings one the awareness and starts to pique interest. Once they get there, they're going to love it. And then hopefully they will stay in our industry and that will help build the next generation of plant science professionals across the country. Fantastic. Jasmine, before we let you go, anything final you want to add or reiterate for folks? Yeah, I just think I really want people to know that not only are careers working with plants rewarding financially, personally, and socially, they also provide opportunities for people to pursue their passions and do the things they love um, in environments that are truly going to make them happy, right? Plants, flowers, produce impact our physical, mental, and emotional health, right? If someone comes into the industry, they're going to love it. Um, so we just want to push that message out that, you know, we need, we need students to find these careers and we're excited to be a part of that seedyourfuture.org is where you can find more information we've been talking with jasmine alberon executive director of seed your future jasmine thanks so much for joining us here today and we will look forward to a conversation in the future thanks so much thank you for having us and that's going to do it for aoa today brought to you by cenex maxtron synthetic diesel engine oil oil that runs smart i'm jesse allen have a fantastic rest of your day Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.